Hello everybody, my name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Today, we're going to be discussing Doug Wilson's discussion with Andrew Isker. I would call it a debate, but it's more of a very friendly discussion over some key differences in the Reformed camp. The video is called Doug Wilson versus Right Wing Twitter, and it's about the Jewish question and what Christians, Reformed Christians specifically, how should they think about modern Jews? How should they think about anti-Semitism? How should they process these pressing issues? What should their response be to these issues? And that's a discussion going on. And what I really like about this discussion is that there is a fair representation from two different sides of the issue. Andrew Isker completely represents, you know, I would say my position. In fact, he represents my position better than I represent my position on this subject. And Doug Wilson represents someone who's reformed, believes that there's a, a future for the Jews, prophesied in scripture, but is not dispensationalist. So we get to see a debate hashed out between two sides of this issue. And again, I'm already stating that I agree with Andrew Isker, but one of the things... Uh, that I want to say up front is I do not think that Aunt Doug Wilson wins this debate. And maybe it's just me, but I don't know. I think Doug Wilson's a little more liberal from my liking. Like as far as like politics go, he's definitely to my left. Uh, and this episode somewhat demonstrates that he's also a little out there on the issue of concupiscence or lust. And we'll have Jared Moron to discuss to discuss that in fuller detail. But I don't dislike Doug Wilson. I'm not a Doug Wilson bro. Uh, and again, I'm not a fan, a fan boy, I should say, or a simp or a stan, as they like to say these days, of any major Christian celebrity or even minor one. I'm just not. So... That being said, we call balls and strikes here, and I don't think the upcoming arguments by Doug Wilson are particularly good. So we're going to get into that, but first, I want to let you know, Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering and commentary ministry. You can support us over at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. But the least you can do is like this video, subscribe to the channel, to the podcast, if you are new. Now, we're going to listen to this video by uh, on the Canon Press YouTube channel. We're going to listen to it at 1.25 speed, and we're going to listen to basically the entire discussion. And we're not dispensationalists. We're right. reformed. And so what is our uh, take on this? And then in the dispensational world, a lot of people throw around the, the term supersession. Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to pause because the audio on this live stream is bad. It shouldn't be bad, but it is which is basically the supersessionist is the person who believes that the church is Israel now. Mm -hmm. So the reform faith is supersessionist. Right. Right. I don't think there's um, some dispensationalists talk as though God has two peoples of God. Right. Um, and this kind is saved by law and, and keeping the yep. Torah and this kind is saved by grace. Uh, and that sort of uh, lends itself to all kinds of confusion. And so we think that supersessionism is, is the only biblical option. But there is a distinction between hard supersessionism. Israel is nothing in, now. Yeah. Is there just, well, not, not nothing. They're nothing in 
the purposes covenantal purposes or anything they're, like they're, that. they're just like the hittites or 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 the armenians or right. or the italians they're just another yeah. another group but no special promises attached that would be hard supersessionism and then there would be soft supersessionism which holds that the church is israel now but that god has reserved a spot for the jews to come back in romans 11 so a lot hinges on how you take the olive tree prophecy in romans 11 right so i just want to pause right there so doug wilson is saying that dispensational theology lends itself to and he doesn't say this term dual covenant theology in which you're basically believing that jews have a pathway to heaven without jesus that's basically dual uh covenant theology and it's when you believe that you know there's dual covenants going on and it lends itself to and dispensationalism lends itself to this so easily and that's what you especially see from the people that say don't preach the gospel to the jews you can't really convert them anyway because it's not their time and that is a mentality among many dispensationalists john hagee uh specifically but other dispensationalists as well. Again, he's a very influential name. I have done his reading, and we did that video very recently. So Doug Wilson saying, therefore, supersessionism is the only biblical alternative. And then he categorizes two different types of supersessionism, hard and soft. And so this book, what this book, uh, so to even raise these questions, right, uh, raises about 101 other questions, right, right. So. Um, the, this book attempts to address the promises of Deuteronomy. Who are those promises for? Um, are the Jews going to come back into the Christian faith? What will that look like when they do? Um, how are we? Who, who is the true Israel of God? Yep. And then how, we're, how are we to understand the problem, the problematic nature of anti-Semitism? Yep. Why? Uh, why do? Uh, why is it so virulent? Yeah. So we, we not see, just now, but historically, all through history, yeah, that, for cent, over centuries. Yeah. And a lot of people have been astonished over the last few weeks by the pro-Hamas rallies, um, uh, largely driven by the commies, yeah. you know, um, but there's, there's more than a little bit of that on the right wing also. So what I try to do in this book is define anti-Semitism, put it in the historical context, give a reformed take on Romans 11. Mm -hmm. What's the classic reformed take on Romans 11? Yeah. So that's what it's about. So you get, you get history, you're getting theology, biblical studies, and... I just wanted to uh, let you know, uh, it's Doug Wilson... Uh, Joe Rigney and um, Jared Longshore and then Andrew Isker. That is the order of the seating arrangement. Uh, this guy used to be, Joe, Joel Rigney used to be uh, with Desiring God, but apparently they don't partner with Christian nationalists. So he's, you know, one of the things is he's no longer there. And then Jared Longshore, I believe, used to be with Founders Ministry, but went to Pres. Uh, he went to paedo-baptism. He was convinced by paedo-baptism, so he couldn't be a Baptist anymore. So he couldn't be at Founders Ministry anymore. So I guess both these people landed on their feet elsewhere. But, you know, uh, that's the thing about the Doug Wilson economy, I guess. They can take some big names in who believe in paedo-baptism. Sort of geopolitics. How does this all shake out in terms of Ron Foster's thing? Uh, yeah. Correct. Right. All of that. Okay. So good. Like that leads into a nice topic right here at the outset. Um, so Andrew, would you would you would you be a hard supersessionist based on how Doug just laid that out? Would, uh, that, would that be your? Yeah, I've never used that term, but I mean the the categories that he's setting up. Yeah, I, I would say so. My my view of Romans 11 is is different. It's the you know a preterist, you know, partial preterist view of 
especially, you know, Paul uses the phrase present time uh, about Israel um, in, in that time. And so I, I take it as meaning this, this conversion happened before 70 AD and that there was a mass conversion of, of Jews in Judea and around Jerusalem uh, before the hammer came down and, and Jerusalem was destroyed. Um, but uh, Which means then that uh, the, the Jews after that, so rabbinic yeah. Judaism into the Middle Ages, into European Jews, and then now the state mm-hmm. of Israel is, is, a is a different animal. Yeah. This is, but there's this not is a linkage between, between know, Old Covenant thing. Israel and, and that people group. And Talmudic so Judaism. In, yeah. in that view, then the question would be, um, when were these unbelieving Jews cut out? Mm-hmm. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a very narrow window you've mm-hmm. got there where mm-hmm. uh, Paul dies in the 60s, mm-hmm. right? And he's mm-hmm. still preaching to the Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you have, uh, if, if he ever got out to Spain, he'd go to the synagogue first. Of course, yeah. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And, but they're, so they're not cut out yet. They're, well, I mean, I think, I think they're being cut, I think they're eight, being cut out years. Throughout, the, throughout the apostolic age. I mean, they're cutting themselves out, right? This persecuting the church, uh, persecuting the apostles, right. and so forth. Um, and that's, that's why it's a partial hardening, right? Like, yeah. it's a partial hardening has come upon Israel in that era. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually you know, preaching on the book of Acts right now, and you, you can see it, right? When they, when they bring the apostles into the Sanhedrin, and they scourge them, and, and, uh, and all of the conflict that, that happens throughout that entire period, well, that's them saying, right, we're not, we're not with Jesus, we're with... We're, we're with, uh, you know, our conception of, of the law and the traditions of the fathers. Um, now, how, um, just to pursue this a little mm-hmm. bit, I can see... Um, I'm currently also reading through the book of Acts, and it's so clear. And I was arguing with the dispensationalists on the, you know, Twitterverse, and it was basically, like, read the book of Acts, like, seriously. You know, as far as, like, you, you can basically count on one hand how many, like, Jewish leaders believe in Jesus. Or believed in Jesus. Paul, uh, one of those synagogue leaders, I believe in Corinth, uh, Gamaliel, you know, at least considers it. I'm going to count him just to pump the numbers up. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, you know, very, not a whole lot of people in the leadership convert. And a lot of dispensationalists will want to lie about it and say, oh, Caiaphas was in cahoots with King Herod. And it's, no. Not how it worked, or Caiaphas didn't represent the the will of the people. Not really. So, a lot of people just want to make up lies. But at the end of the day, the people didn't really believe in Jesus while he was on earth. And it's kind of a pressing theme. Like, even when Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, the people are amazed, but they don't necessarily believe. Because Jesus tells them at the Sermon on the Mount that he's God. They're amazed by that, but doesn't mean that they necessarily believed. Uh, interacting with a hard supersession, this is my terminology, but a yeah. hard supersessionist who is not anti-Semitic at all. Mm-hmm. He's just, this is his doctrinal position. Yeah. Right. Uh, but in the online world, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I see a lot of what I would call an anti-Semitic vibe mm-hmm. coming off of people who utilize hard supersessionist. Yeah, it's like a fig leaf. To, yeah, it's yeah. a fig leaf. Yeah, yeah. I'm just no. making a point about Romans 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then all, the, yeah. then all the bile comes out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and part of this is a blow. I'm not saying this because my feelings are hurt, but, <laughs> but just saying I, I'm arguing for a soft mm-hmm. supersessionist view. And a lot of these people, right-wing trolls, mm-hmm. are attacking me. Right? Yeah, even yeah. though like a dispensationalist would see what, what you're saying, your, your eschatological position and so forth, as being anti-Semitic. Right? Right. That's always the... the Right. Any supersessionism any, is any supersessionism. theology. You hate Jews, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, right. no, I, I, I get that. And, you know, I think, I mean, some of it is the difficulty is if 
with the soft supersessionism, it, it can almost sound like to some people the same thing as dispensationalism, where, oh, there is this separated people that have to continue existing for all time or, or else the Bible's not true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, my, my view is, right, they could, um, they could all convert, you know, in the next 100 years and the history will keep on going. I mean, and, and if you're so, post-mill, yeah. you think they will. And I, yeah, I'm post-mill, so I think they're going to, or, or if they disappear as a particular people, the, whoever their descendants are and whatever they are, will come to Christ. Right. But there's but no but no uh es- So I wanna just share something about myself because I used to be more, you know, dispensationalist back in the day. Uh, you know, around the time I started Evangelical Dark Web, I was probably still on the Disby side of things. And one of the reasons for that was I believed that, oh, this you know, seeing how prophecy be- comes to life in scripture and in real life with modern Israel makes the Bible seem more true. But to me, but now I see that that's more of a shortcut. That's a shortcut to believing the, the inerrancy of scripture rather than, you know, the more satisfying long held view of how scripture is true and scripture affirms scripture. So, but you can take a shortcut by trying to, work modern Israel into it. And that's only going to work so long before, you know, the Hal Lindsey, you know, if Jesus doesn't come back and the generation dies, that's seen Israel, the modern Israel established and the modern Israel fight off the Yom Kippur war dies off. Eventually, you know, again, all these end times prophecies, because you know, all these dispensationalist preachers, whether it's John MacArthur, uh, uh, John Hagee, bunch of other ones, they all said that the end is imminent. And what happens when it's not as imminent as they preached that it was? People are going to stop believing. And that's what, to me, is dangerous about dispensationalism long term. It's creating another 1844 type of event, which is very prevalent in the history of premillennialism. Scatology, or no, no future events hinge on that happening yeah. for them particularly. It wouldn't be yeah. a prophetic fulfillment. Yeah, right. and, and, and so I, I look at it as um, actually something that should encourage less, um, less of it, just like supersessionism, I think, does, where it's now they're not these very special people that we have to hold up high. They're, just, they're regular people that need Jesus, right? That's, right. That should be the perspective. Um, so do, if, go ahead. Yeah, well, do, so do you think, so um, do you think that there's a particular animus that's like um people don't tend to um the kind of uh bile use the word bile a second ago mm-hmm. um that's directed at the zionist mm-hmm. you know the zionist filth or the, or the bootlickers mm-hmm. who yeah. who go who support the zionist mm-hmm. and that sort of thing seems to have a different kind of quality to it compared to what people feel about say italians and swedes yeah, yeah. um or you know whoever so well, like, i don't know about the swedes yeah the swedes we have a, <laughs> yeah there's parts of the swedes um, but do you do you think that there's a particular um, the, that anti-Semitic vibe that kind of lurks mm-hmm. in certain parts of the internet? What do you think? What it, what is that? How would you categorize that? And do, and how how do you push back against it? How do you, how do you navigate? Um, yeah, with that? I think I think a lot of it is due to the fact that um, within our current cultural and political dispensation, you can't you know just even address things honestly and look at okay, well there there happen to be a lot of um, you know people of of that ethno-religious background that are in high positions of political and cultural and economic power. Um, and even, even addressing it academically, not with animus or anything like that, to be able to say, oh, I wonder, wonder why they pursue these particular policy ends or why they make movies this way. Um, you know, you're not allowed to talk about those things, right? You'll be, 
you will be destroyed. Your life will be over um, if, if you do. And so like within that kind of paradigm, right, then what happens is people, right, it, I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like COVID when everybody is, is locked in their homes and they're, they're, they're not able to go out and do anything. Like it made a lot of people angry. And so they're penned up. And so it's similar to that, where if you're not allowed to honestly and openly discuss things freely, right, then, then people will come unglued. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about these things even harder. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah exactly. So, so, yeah. But here's the, the um, catch on that, because I've run into that an mm -hmm. awful lot in my interactions mm -hmm. online. This is something I really appreciate about Doug Wilson here. So I've been very critical of him or haven't even begun to be super critical of him yet, but I've announced that I'm going to be very critical of Doug Wilson, but I do want to give him credit where credit is due. Doug Wilson is trying to say that if you want to fight anti-Semitism, you need to actually engage their arguments. You can't, uh, you need to actually engage the arguments. You need to, it, it's not like they're saying all lies. So you actually have to engage their arguments and Doug Wilson does that or at least wants to do that. So I do believe he has good intentions here. Even if I do think he comes to the wrong conclusions, I do think he had good intentions in getting to the wrong conclusions. Maybe it's a generational thing that maybe prevents him from getting to the right conclusions. Uh, but or maybe it's because Doug Wilson is an insanely creative person person so i i do want to commend him for this uh someone just a, a week or so ago wondered online uh, in twitter very darkly who had paid for our recent trip to israel and had i met with any zionists while i was there and um and when i when i talked did you say, <laughs> yeah you just not answer the question <laughs> i don't know <laughs> so so um when, when people bring up um, the, the Bolsheviks in Russia, mm -hmm. a bunch of Jews, mm -hmm. so they, they point to the Jews who were involved in various yeah. dirty deeds. Down Revolutionary, his, activity. Re Revolutionary activity. Revolutionary yeah. activity, the Bolsheviks yeah. and... Uh, the com commies today, uh, all that kind of stuff. Pornographers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so people exactly, say, yeah. look at all these bad deeds. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not allowed to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I talk about it in this book. You know, I, so, so in this well, book, good. <laughs> good. I talk yeah. about it, but yeah. what I do, and this is, this is where I, uh, it matters to me. Mm -hmm. My basic argument is mm -hmm. that the Jews taken as a whole mm -hmm. are a high performance people mm -hmm. for whatever is their emphasis on education, family cohesion, high expectations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Jews are high performance people mm -hmm. and it shows up in the patents they get. It shows up in um, the companies they start. It shows up in Nobel prizes. Yeah. You know, they're less than 1% of the world's population mm -hmm. and they have this outsized influence mm -hmm. on all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So if you have a high performance people, when they're good, they're very, very good. And when they're bad, they're very, very bad. Mm -hmm. So if you have a high performance, twins, mm -hmm. high performance, and one becomes, mm -hmm. goes into the mafia and mm -hmm. the other one becomes a brain surgeon, mm -hmm. the one does an awful lot of good and the other does an awful lot of bad. Mm -hmm. And when I'm talking to people that I would think are anti-Semitic, mm -hmm. they say, look at these bad guys. And mm -hmm. I say, yeah, I grant that. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, mm -hmm. I'm not, a bunch of the Bolsheviks were Jews. Mm -hmm. Yes, they did a lot of damage. A lot of the left-wing nonsense in our country now Today, is, yeah. Is yeah. supported by Jews, driven by Jews. Um, yeah, okay, all of that. Including even the like pro Hamas stuff. I mean, I don't know if you noticed that, but oh. it's there's a large element of like far left uh, Jewish yeah. people in it. It's like, wow, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense, does it? Doesn't make sense. Yeah, but so yes, some people don't realize that the reason why the liberal media is kind of controlled by Jews, but has been placating pro Hamas rhetoric all this time, is because Zionism and Bolshevism have always kind of been at odds, and. Some people, like Winston Churchill, for instance, wanted to get 
advanced Zionism to draw Jews away from Bolshevism. Uh, Charlie Kirk apparently made this argument recently. And you know what I think about Jar Charlie Kirk and his worship of Judaism. But he even tried to triangulate the same way that Winston Churchill did recently. I thought that was pretty pretty funny. He wanted to get the Jews out of uh, Bolshevism and into Zionism and get them to support Israel. And because not all Jews support Israel and the logical conclusion of being Jewish and supporting Israel is you move to Israel, theoretically. Um, so with that said, Doug Wilson wants to call balls and strikes here. And it's ironic that he circulates on the, the brain surgeon thing, which is a career path that produces a lot of people with a God complex like of all the career people, people with God complexes by career, like brain surgeons really up there. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's a digression. So Doug Wilson introduces this phrase, high performance people. But what he calls a high performance people might more accurately be called radical materialist. And you see this with Asian immigrants and, and, you know, they push their children to be doctor, lawyer, because it's about pursuing money and status. And what we see in like, you know, a lot of Asian families in the United States is kind of the same thing that you see in a lot of Jewish families in the United States. And China is nothing but materialist. So, radical materialism, but he calls it a high-performance culture. Well, I grant all that, so that argument goes away. Mm -hmm. And then I say to them, and now can you acknowledge mm -hmm. all their contributions to heart surgery mm -hmm. and all mm -hmm. their contributions to uh, philharmonic orchestras? Yeah, 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 yeah. The first file. Yeah. And it goes dead quiet. Yeah, they yeah. do not want to admit all the positive con contributions. Yeah, and I want these people to be Christians for that reason. You know? yeah. <laughs> well, if, yeah. I would say a philo-Semite mm -hmm. would be someone who only talks about the positive contributions mm -hmm. and then tries to cancel you mm -hmm. if you point out all the negative ones mm -hmm. and if you point out the negative ones but you will not refer to the positive ones mm -hmm. then that's what i would call an anti-semite mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so if i say okay yeah a lot of bad a lot of bad stuff mm -hmm. and here's a bunch of good stuff mm -hmm. why is that so hard you know yeah, it, yeah. um do you, because, th do you think though um one of the things that um and i, and I do this too where where i am in, in conversation with people that you know are of this perspective right and and you know they notice that much of the the secular movement in America and just the push to secularism in, in America over the last hundred years, um, and it makes sense. Like if you, uh, I don't want to use the word empathy with Joe here, but like if you put yourself in, in their shoes, Please right? Don't. Uh, that's right. <laughs> you put yourself in their shoes, and you're thinking as as um, a group of people who are are you know have for hundreds, thousands of years been on the outside of of you know European Christian society, um, and and you're thinking from like a, a group identity perspective. You would want there to be secularism because it's good for your people. So it makes sense that well, you could join. They would push that. You, you yeah. could, yeah. yeah. You, you, you could. A Jew can uh, more readily get into country clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a, yeah. In a secular mm -hmm. society than yeah. in a Christianized one. Yeah. So I even you know instead of and, and so like even having the conversation like that, which is not really allowed anywhere else, um, it I, I think it, it helps people to not right not not be so angry not be as conspiratorial because i think you look at it and it's like well it makes sense if you're looking at it from a, a perspective of what what's good for my people well you would push right. you know a secular society um and so, so so one of the things i do in this book is 
And historically, this is what Jews often supported was liberal democracy and Bolshevism and all the and Menshevism. So this is very true. What Andrew Isker is doing is he's providing a naturalistic explanation for the socio behavior of Jewish people throughout history that doesn't automatically point to this is God's chosen people and that's and Satan hates them so much and that's why they're persecuted and you know or there's a cabal going on on the flip side there's a cabal going on they're all conspiring to take over civilization so he's providing a more naturalistic explanation obviously you know i do think there's sort of a hive mind about people who are not saved collectively speaking uh you know it goes for jews versus muslims but we'll talk more about islam in a second but so you know those who are not of christ or of their you know sort of their father the devil type of thing is what i'm getting at so i think they're is a cabal going on from one sense, but it's not necessarily being led by people. And thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk. We're talking about my book. Yeah. 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 No, we're, we're getting there. We're, oh, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're getting there. Um, so uh, I have a chapter on the on the uh, Talmud. Mm-hmm. Two chapters on the Talmud. One of them is all the horrific stuff that's in there. I mean, mm-hmm. There's some really bad. Mm-hmm. really bad stuff. Yeah, Jesus there. boiling in, in feces in hell. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. Well, stuff like that and when it's okay to molest a kid. And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's really bad stuff. Really bad, yeah. But then I have another chapter on all the wonderful stuff in the Talmud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Talmud is sort of like someone collected cosmopolitan articles over the course of 500 years yeah, yeah. and bound them in a volume. Mm-hmm. And some of them are from the late 1800s on, on how to can your own peaches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and some of them are 88,000 ways to drive your man crazy and dead. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got this wide... Yeah. And the problem that all Jews have is the place of veneration they give to the whole Talmud. Right. Because mm-hmm. this, it's the, this big thing that is just sitting mm-hmm. there and people don't really know. Yep. But it's, it has this position of authority. Mm-hmm. And there's some wonderful stuff in there. There's also mm-hmm. some really bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems to me that uh, interest of truth would just be able to point to both yeah, mm-hmm. and say, yeah, this is real, from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. this is really bad, this is really good. I do think even just at that, there's a basic point there that I think a lot of Christians miss. Um, I think this is the fruit of the sort of dispensational um, undercurrent of a lot of evangelicalism. But when I was in college, I took a, like a Bible is lit class at a secular university, um, and it was taught by an Orthodox Jew. And in the first class, and so this is... Okay, I got to pause right here. So um, Doug Wilson's trying to say, well, there's a lot of bad in the Talmud, and we need to acknowledge that. But we also got to acknowledge that there's a lot of good. Would you make that argument about the Book of Mormon? Would you make that argument about the Quran? If not, then why are you making this argument about the Talmud? This is the double standard that Christians hold towards Judaism, modern Talmudic Talmudic Judaism, and they don't hold towards any other pagan religion that leads to hell. And there's a problem in the church where people do not hold equal weights and measures because they give preferential treatment to modern-day Jews that they don't even give to Christians of a different denomination. And that's insane. That's insane. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Old Testament, um, Bible is literature. And the thing that he wanted, he, he had a lot of Christians come through that class because it was a Bible class. But one of the things he pointed out was that the Old Testament is, the, is a necessary foundation of two modern religions, Christianity and Judaism, but it's the, it's the sufficient foundation of neither. So Christians read their Old Testament through the New Testament. They read it through Christ, and Christ is the filter. But um, Jews do the same thing through the Talmud. The Talmud is their New mm-hmm. Testament, and it's just a gnarly weird one. It, ha- like it has that mixed, mixed bag. Mm-hmm. But, no, but his point was nobody is doing Old Testament religion anymore. That's yeah. gone. It's done. Nobody's sacrificing anything. Um, mm-hmm. a, lot of these, a lot of the laws are reinterpreted in various kind of creative ways. Um, you know, what, it, it, it's a very weird conglomeration that's been passed down through the centuries. But it's mm-hmm. important, I think, to get that, that in that sense— um, modern Jews and Christians are in a similar place relative to the Old Testament, and it's not simply the case that they're sort of Old Covenant people mm-hmm. still around today. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's important. Nobody's doing the Old Testament today until the Red Heifer is born. <laughs> until the Red Heifer is born. <laughs> and then that's next, year, yeah, next, next year. year. Yeah, You said the Jews, it's, it's better now in, in this view you were talking about because they're not the special people anymore. Mm-hmm. They're just like kind of one among many of the nations. Mm-hmm. Do, you take, do you take the Jews to have, what, what kind of connectivity do they have to the Old Testament? Um, well, uh, you, you mean in terms of like genetics or uh, you know, spiritually? Or? Classification of people. Like, I mean, when yeah. you say, yeah, this is this is the same, this is the same general people that we have in the old. Um, no, it's it's. I don't know if, if I. I mean, there, it's interesting. I, I, I saw you know, a series of like genetic studies, for instance, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, and it, it took you know somehow they're able to figure out Israelite DNA and be able to take all of the modern people groups that exist today and and, and collect it. Okay, who has the most? And um, the the group you want to guess the group that has the most Israelite DNA? Uh, Swedes, probably. That's no, probably. <laughs> it's a good guess. <laughs> <laughs> Palestinian Christians. Um, Palestinian Christians have the most Israelite DNA, and then all the different Levantine Christians have the most, and then the various like the, the Druze and the, the Karaites and people like that. Uh, way further down the list is um, you know, Ashkenazi uh, Jews, and so I, I think that's that's somewhat interesting. I mean, it's uh, even though I know so many of the arguments, especially the dispensational arguments, don't. Really so we talked a few weeks ago on a live stream about how the Ashkenazi Jews um, came from northern Turkey and they converted uh, during the rise of the Silk Road trade. And they, in that, it was a Silk Road trading people group converted to Jude- Judaism. Um, and they would probably convert the Khazars after. So I'm not advocating advancing the Khazar hypothesis. But I am saying that the Rhineland hypothesis is wrong. So, uh, on, on the origin of the Ashkenazis, because, you know, Ashkenazi is related to Ashkenaz from the Bible. Not Gomer, which is believed to be the father of Germany in the scriptures. If you're dispensationalist, you know Gomer, Germany. But no rely on necessarily genetics right. um but uh it's it's, it's so at that point 
you know, the, it gets into what's a, what, what is a people, what counts as yeah. a people, and is it is it mainly biology and genetics, yeah. or is it sort of cultural traditions and identification mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. shared history, um, shared narrative, shared customs, and things like that. So in that yeah. in that sense, wouldn't wouldn't there be that that's the continuity that I think you might see between first you know yeah. first century or fifty mm -hmm. you know tenth century. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would go even further when Abraham uh, went to war to uh, to retrieve Lot. Yeah. After, uh, mm -hmm. He had, what, 518, uh, 318, 318 yeah. fighting men with him. Yeah. When Abraham was circumcised and his whole household was circumcised. They were as well. They, they yeah. were as well, his mm -hmm. fighting men. But that, the, what the Navy would call plank owners, the people who were in mm -hmm. on the ground floor mm -hmm. of Judaism, mm -hmm. Abraham's household, 90% mm -hmm. of them didn't have Abraham's DNA. Whatsoever. Right. It's, yeah. it's not a DNA thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, mm -hmm. it's, it goes back to what I would say an ethnicity has to do with language, customs, mm -hmm. laws, uh, shared heritage, right. group uh, identity, shared attachment to and, land, and so if someone proved to me that the Ashkenazi Jews uh, were all just were zero percent, it was zero percent. Yeah, yeah. I would say it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because um, they are covenantally bound mm -hmm. to this. To I would argue the covenant of Hagar uh, okay. in yeah. Galatians. So, mm -hmm. uh, so covenantally they are Ishmaelites mm -hmm. because they are um, they've identified with mm -hmm. this line that goes all the way back, mm -hmm. and it goes back mm -hmm. through the disputes with Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Jesus and Paul. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so I mean, so grant that there, so mm -hmm. grant that there is a kind yeah. of connection. Yeah, I'm yeah, thinking. Yeah. Then what? What is like the Christian um, take uh -huh. on the people that still have this particular tie? Like uh -huh. when we read about Old Testament Israel, mm -hmm. um, does does the Christian's heart go, "Boy, I love that people," um, or does the Christian's heart say, "Like, man, these covenant breaking, these covenant breaking people that are worthy no, I, of yeah, yeah." I, I think the Christian's heart should be. Um, I'm united to that people that I read about in the Old Testament through Jesus, right? Um, and, and not even really think about these other people. Um, especially because, I mean, you look at it, and this is, I mean, this I think goes into like the Romans 11 uh, preterist view that um, they're coming to arrest me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> arrest you or rescue you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, we'll find out. You know, you have um, under Abraham, I mean, each time the, the covenant, as the covenant moves forward throughout history, you have a different name for the people of God, right? You have Hebrews and then Israelites, and then uh, after the exile, you, they're all called Jews, even though they're not all descended from the tribe of Judah. And then as the new covenant comes in, now you have Christians, right? This is the, the name for the people of God. And so you know, the people yeah, that are, are, are cut out and, and uh, who reject Christ, right, they don't, they don't have that, that name anymore. That, that name of, of Jew in the biblical sense doesn't, doesn't exist in the same way, right? They're, they're a different kind of people. So why, I guess this goes back to yeah. Joe's question, why do they draw so much hatred? Mm -hmm. um, That's a good question. <laughs> I just, I just wanna, we're, built on, we're built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I just want to make... Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were Jews. Yeah. yeah, of course. Like foundation. Yeah. Like we stand on them. Uh -huh. Yeah, but I think, but, I think part of Andrew, Andrew's point is that the modern people group that goes by the name Jew doesn't have any covenantal ties. That's not the biblical you know, name for the people of God. I mean, they're, they're using that name... But it would be like, I mean, it's like the, the black Hebrew Israelites calling themselves Hebrews. Yeah, so right? it does seem um, like the issue was the, the issue about the, the, the blood tests versus any kind of covenantal um, identification. Any yeah, kind, I think, any kind of covenantal I think the old covenant is done in 70 AD. Um, and so there isn't, there isn't any particular covenant. Do you think the remains. covenant with Hagar is done in 70 AD? Yeah, I, I think so. I think when, when Paul's discussing this, I think it, you know, it comes to a close. I think that, you know, that section of Galatians is, I mean, you read it in tandem with Romans 11 and the olive tree, right? right. Um, and so I, I look at it, you know, that way. Well, so if the, but if Galatians... See, one thing that I would say is that the land covenant, uh, the Genesis 15 covenant was done in the Old Testament. 
And you see in the Old Testament that they're looking forward to a New Testament that chronologically speaking, like the later books in the Old Testament, with the exception of Malachi, which isn't talking about the land covenant. Anyway, it's not, I'm not sure. I don't understand Malachi as much. I'd have to read it and then read Hebrews, I think would be the best parallel. But the Old Testament shifts from the Old Covenant to a New Covenant. It's very interesting to just read, you know, do a survey on God talking about covenant in the Old Testament. Um, but there is, again, 70 AD, Judaism ends, Old Testament Judaism ends, and then you see Talmudic Judaism kind of rise out of the ashes of that. And then Christianity obviously pre predates 8070. And obviously, I would also say it was distinct enough. But it really just takes a new direction. There's, you know, fading reason to continue the old ways, so to speak. This is written in the 40s, mm-hmm. and Jer- uh, Jerusalem falls in 70 AD. Mm-hmm. That's less than 30 years mm-hmm. to have this covenant. <laughs> well, I mean, I would Paul say that the uh, apostate Israelites in in you know, first kings, right, that are worshiping Baal, right? Which mm-hmm. covenant are they in? Are they right. in the covenant with Abraham or are they in the covenant with Hagar? Right? Right. Yeah, would you apply would be... it acharistically, right? And right. I think, and so I think, I think it's, it's a paradigm that he's offering between the two. And he, he's making the argument that, no, the, the, the promise belongs to um, those who have the faith of Abraham, which but no, is On the promise, all supersessionists yeah. would agree yeah, would, that yeah. the promise is to Abraham and to a seed, mm-hmm. and that is apprehended by faith through Christ. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. all Reformed Christians mm-hmm. are supersessionists. Yeah. It's not like... They think we're Christians are going to heaven and Jews are going to heaven on the back of the bus. Yeah, that's right. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although some dispensationalists sometimes talk that Go way. Go down there. Or road, like yeah. there's two buses. Yeah. Or, yeah, you know, right. yeah. There, there's some of that. But we're, so we would agree with all the mm-hmm. supersessionist points, mm-hmm. the people of God today, the church mm-hmm. is Israel now. Mm-hmm. And, which which means just like tie this to something. This is, again, for um, broadly evangelical our audience. Um, oftentimes I remember growing up even in kind of dispensational circles where why should the United States support Israel? Um, mm-hmm. Because God said, I'll "Bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you." Yeah. And so, as long as the U.S. stands by Israel, we'll receive the blessing of God. If we ever turn our back on Israel, then God will, God will turn His back on us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a misapplication because the people of God that everybody ought to be worried about is the Christian Church. The Christian yeah. Church is the one. Yeah. If you bless the Christian Church, then yeah. God will bless you. Right. If you persecute in the Christian Church, then God's going to curse you as a nation. And so that, on, that Abrahamic promise belongs to us on, on biblical terms. And just to throw this in the dispensationalist face. The United States has immensely blessed Israel. We have given more foreign aid to Israel than any other country. Where are the blessings as a result of all that money, all that tribute? In their minds, it's tribute that we have given to Israel. What is the fruit of that? If our nation is being blessed because we have blessed Israel, I would hate to see what being cursed because we have cursed Israel looks like. Like, seriously, how much worse is that? How, how much worse is the curse because we've cursed Israel? So, because I'm not feeling the blessings from blessing that, you know, secular nation. If anything, we're being judged as a nation. Despite our continued support of Israel, of the modern nation state of Israel, or perhaps because of it. Is it a coincidence that the British mandate ends and that period of time, you know, like 1945 to 1951 is one of the quickest 
self-inflicted declines of an empire in world history. Self-imposed decline of the British Empire that took place 1945 to 1951. They certainly blessed Israel because they created Israel. So the British Empire creates Israel and they are an embarrassment to their former selves. It does, Genesis 12.3 doesn't apply to the modern nation state of Israel. It's an embarrassment that people think that it does because you can tangibly point to nations blessing Israel, in fact, and materially and even spiritually reaping punishment, you could argue, or judgment for it or in correlation to it. The Jews don't have the promise of the land apart from returning to the Lord. You return to the Lord first. Yeah, yeah. And then we can talk about land. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, su- geopolitical support for Israel mm-hmm. would have to be just simply political, right. not, yeah. not eschatological, not right. real. It's all, re- not it's all real, real politic, like what makes yeah. sense yeah, for there's American a, There's interest. millions of people living there now. What's the best humanitarian thing we can do yeah. given this mess that's, yeah. that's yeah. there? Um, but uh, it seems odd to me, or just a, a quirk, that you have this category of a covenant with Agar uh-huh. that is just so short-lived. Uh-huh. And so if I say that no, God keeps the Jews because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Mm-hmm. Not irrevocable. Irre- irrevocable doesn't mean 15 more years. Yeah, right? yeah, irrevocable yeah. means they're irrevocable. And they're beloved on, on account of the patriarchs. I would say, well, they're, they're out. They're cut out of the olive mm-hmm. tree. But we should pray for their return. And this is the, mm-hmm. this is the historic mm-hmm. reformed understanding, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. is the non-preterist view of Romans 11, mm-hmm. that the Jews will be grafted back in. And when that happens, it's the key to world evangelization. Mm-hmm. That's the Puritan hope. Yeah, what, um, I guess my question would be if... And again, God revoked the land promises during the exiles. The land promises were revoked. So, entire tribes were cut off. So, I, I don't see the idea that, oh, if, you know, God doesn't keep these promises, then... Uh, he's not really God. You know, the type of argument that you hear a lot of dispensationalists used. And I think Doug Wilson's soft-peddling some of that. If there was, and there's, there's varying historical accounts about you know, conversions of Jews, even after you know, Jerusalem's destroyed, and uh, even after that, many of the, the Jews that survived mm-hmm. right, convert to Christianity. That's true. And, and, yeah. and, a, and a vast majority of them, right, very small remnant um, that retained any, any you know, semblance of, of the oral traditions and so forth. Um, and so I, I look at that, I mean, you know, that, that group continues on and it, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's a random happenstance of, of history that they continue on in, in this, um, in this post-Christian, um, you know, or post-incarnational, um, heretical cult, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, I mean, I think that's the way I, I sort of look at, at Judaism in general it, today is not, I mean, it's sort of like Joe was saying, right, that, um, that they, they have the Old Testament, but their New Testament's the, the Talmud, right? And that's how they, the lens they view through. Um, and, and so sort of in, the, in, in those terms, but um, I, I'd look at it in the same way that, well, there were, there's all sorts of um, you know, post-Christian heretical cults that develop in, in, after Christianity comes, like, like Islam and uh, Mormonism and Arianism, things like that. Would you, yeah, would you look at it those way, in, in that oh, yeah, way? I, yeah. I would say that it's a serious rejection of the Messiah and mm-hmm. doctrinally off, and there's a chapter on... Yeah. All this, the Talmud is cockeyed yeah. in yeah. its rejection of 
Christ as, as rejection of Christ as the Christ. Yeah, yeah. But the thing that just I keep coming back to is Jehovah's Witnesses are Aryan mm -hmm. and deny the deity of Christ, mm -hmm. and no Christian group that I know of gets mm -hmm. any kind of whipped up about them. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if I say if I say anything about um, <laughs> about Jews online, you know, let's say I, something like Israel has the right to defend itself against Hamas, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. All the puppies and kittens come out to play. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for pe for people who don't think Israel is special, mm -hmm. they sure act like it's special, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, some of it is, um, yeah, some of it you have to think maybe is the antithesis that you know many people are raised their entire lives in in you know like especially you know southern you yeah. know, southeast part of the country in dispensationalism. No, no and, I'm not. I'm, I'm, not, I'm yeah. not talking about the disagreement. No, no, no but I mean, when I'm you, talking about the hatred. Yeah, when you when you're in that um, it, within that world, and then suddenly you realize this is not the way it is. It's very easy to go the opposite direction. Plus, it's, it's reactionary. Yeah, there's, there's a reactionary element to it. There's a reactionary yeah, element to it, and and I mean, what um, what would you say about? I mean, some of the stuff that we talked about. Like there are there are groups, you know, very far left um, uh, Jewish people that are, are a major part of of the secularist onslaught, mm -hmm. um, and and so I don't I don't think of it as monolithic or that it's this massive you know jewish conspiracy or things like that right. but I, I think they definitely play a role in it sure. uh, because the, their fundamental identity even if they're even if they're not they don't have a religious faith whatsoever even if they're atheists they still have this jewish identity mm -hmm. right and at the core of their identity is we are not christian right. right and so i think some of that has to drive well we are not christian yeah. and that's why we should be the best brain surgeons <laughs> <laughs> so, or uh, casino owners or, or, or brothel owners well, yeah. <laughs> you know, things like that you know yeah. Like, uh, yeah. so if if you, for whatever quirky reason, yeah. if you do have a population mm -hmm. that's teeny tiny mm -hmm. and they have an outsized impact. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, punch above their weight class. Uh, what's that? They punch above their weight class. Yeah. Way above their weight class. Mm -hmm. that, you need to account for that somehow. Yeah, do, and, you, do you think it's, because I know you've written before about, well, it's people that are just envious of, oh, yeah. of, of what they have. What, um, what if it's not envy? Right. What if it's not envy about, about you know running Hollywood and things like that? You know, like uh, it's like I don't want to run Hollywood. <laughs> but uh, uh, what if it, what if it's not envy? But it's it's more so you see you know I mean even looking at uh, you, I'm sure you all remember Stephen Wolf's infamous tweet and the subtext of it, which is you know white evangelicals vote at like 80 yeah. percent for the GOP and things like the, that. But the lone bulwark. And, like the mere image of that is, and obviously it's a much smaller chunk of the population, but is American Jews is like 80 percent uh, Democrat, right? right. And so. Yeah, but eighty percent um, of less than one percent is not the same thing as eighty percent of millions and millions. Yeah, but if they're if they're much higher in in terms of influence and and power and, and wealth and so forth. Oh yeah, but know, see that's my point. Um, I grant all of that, and when yeah. they use their influence and power for secularism, yeah. it's really bad. Yeah, but when they use but that's the, what they've done though. <laughs> you well, know, so like what? So some of it is, um, I think. You know, people aren't allowed to say that, right? No, that they have to, say, to do that. They're yeah. allowed to say that as long as they also say, but you got to hand it to them on these cures for, <laughs> cures for cancer that they keep coming up with. No, yeah. you're yeah. not allowed yeah. to say yeah. that. I don't know if you're, you're not allowed to make that distinction. You can only say good things. You're not allowed to say, hey, you know, this is the group that most believes in transgenderism is Judaism. Uh, you know, it's like 44% believe that gender is a binary. 44% of Jews. That is the fewest of any group. That is the polar opposite of white evangelical. Which was upper 80s, low 90s. Which is a little low for my liking. But still. A uh, little bit lower. So, who are the major donors for the Democrat Party? The Bolshevik Democrat Party. 
these things matter and it, you know, they punch above their weight class, but the degeneracy is punching above their weight class and being uh, exported to broader society with no concern. All under the guise of progress. You are. I don't know if you. I don't know. There's. Don't know there's a my book is going to be a test yeah. case. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. you could you could do pull quotes out of my book. Yeah. And make me a and raving. People phylos. will. And they will. Yeah. yeah. And and they'll, both they'll, sides. They'll, they'll, both sides. There'll yeah. be people who say, "Here's a philo semite to beat the band, a Zionist, a fellow traveler, etc." Yeah. And what, what do you think's gained? What do you think the the, the the net gain is if it's um, here's you know saying the nefarious Jews versus just the nefarious people. Like what? Like in other words, if 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 the evil, if the communism, if the if the high-handed wickedness, if the all of this, the corruption, if that's the thing that we're most opposed to, mm-hmm. what what? Because it seems like the thing that gets everybody's dander up is when you say, and it's because they're Jews too. That's the sort yeah, of thing, as yeah. opposed to I don't like their their ethnicity and their, their heritage or the customs they identify with or you know what holidays they celebrate. Mm-hmm. Is it Christmas or Hanukkah? Like that seems to me largely irrelevant to they're just pursuing godless wickedness, mm-hmm. and I don't care about the yeah, whether they're yeah. Jews or not. Like yeah, why, if, why is that the? I, I think if there is a if there's a you know, group identity and, and like ethno religious motivation behind it, I think you know, it's like I mean it's like looking at a it's looking at a crime scene and you're you're trying to figure out okay what motivated the killer right to do this right. thing, and so I think I think you should be honest like okay if 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 someone's uh, particular you know, group identity and, and ethnic identity is is driving the things that they do that, that plays a role. Yeah, but, yeah, you know? but that's Woodrow Wilson and his Anglo-Saxonness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, Margaret yeah. Sanger and her yeah, yeah. White, the white man's burden, all yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so if I said um, Woodrow Wilson wrecked the 20th century, which he did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He just and he was not Jewish at all. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, say, and he was Anglo-Saxon. Yeah. And I say, yeah. well, what does that have to do with it? Yeah. Uh, I. That's a good. Yeah, that's a good. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a fair point, but at the same time, it it isn't. Um, it isn't necessarily as Anglo-Saxon as driving it, right? Driving, uh, getting right. the United States but into no, World War II. But no, it absolutely II. was. Yeah. Uh, right, so the WASP, the, the whole he WASP, means WASP World War I, yeah. WASP establishment mm-hmm. was white Anglo-Saxon mm-hmm. Protestant. And it was, that was the establishment. That was the elite. Mm-hmm. Those were the people who owned the world. They were going to yeah. tell the world how to yeah. behave, teach the world how to behave. They're going to make the world safe for democracy. And he wrecked the 20th century yeah. without any Jewish help. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, how, how much of uh, I mean, the banking interest that drove America to World War I you know, played a role in that? Too. Yeah. It, it certainly did. I mean, yeah. you know, J.P. Morgan uh, and you know, the Rothschilds, like this, that's part of it as well. So yeah. it's not, it's not t- totally in a, in other words. Uh, Andrew Isker's exactly right about this. Uh, the United States went into World War One because of America through um, select few bankers was basically the largest creditor of the Entente powers. The Entente powers were at risk of defaulting, so these bankers drove America to declare war on the Triple Alliance. And and stuff like that. So we declared war on Germany, not because they, you know, took belligerence rights on our ship or the so-called Zimmerman telegram, which totally looks like a fake. Uh, because again, that telegram has, that telegram line has to go through the English before it goes across the Atlantic ocean to be intercepted. Uh, cause that's where the cable went, ran through. So, um, totally fake. The real reason was, America was the creditor of the Entente powers. That's why America went into World War One. No other real reason. We're, yeah. we're driving toward, I think, yeah. the consensus. Yeah. Romans one, the Gentiles are big fat sinners. Yeah. Romans two, the Jews are big fat sinners. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Romans three, everybody's a big fat sinner. Yeah. No, I, no, I, I agree. I mean, even even when we get into you know, discussions of the left and and, and all of that, um, you know, I, I often tell people, okay, if, if this group of people that I, I think are driven by a particular ethno-religious identity and that drives their their ideology and their thinking and their revolutionary uh, views, if they didn't exist, would the left still exist today and be doing the things that it's doing? Of course. Yeah. You know, of course they would. But at the same time, I don't I don't think we should shy away from it, especially because these are things you're not allowed to talk about and discuss. Uh, and, I, I will grant you this. You know, when you attempt to, to shut people down, ruin people's lives, mm-hmm. if they say something mm-hmm. unpopular mm-hmm. or say something that's not politically correct, mm-hmm. that has generated blowback. Mm-hmm. And people are saying, so if you're going to wreck my career over three microaggressions that mm-hmm. got reported to HR, I'm going to go online and read a bunch of material that's yeah, going to make yeah. you really hopping mad. Yeah, yeah, and that, there yeah. is that blowback element. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I've repeatedly said in, in, on, on my blog that this, all this ethno-hatred mm-hmm. and this racial animosity, eth- actually mm-hmm. not racial, but ethnic animosity and mm-hmm. all that we're mm-hmm. dealing with, I would lay at the feet of the left mm-hmm. because they have, they have cultivated yeah. critical race theory. They've yeah. taught everybody to think in terms of color swatches mm-hmm. and right. background and what's your identity, and mm-hmm. it's polarizing, mm-hmm. and, now they're, and now the chickens are coming home to roost. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we should blame the right-wing fever swamps for that. But who brought critical race theory to the United States? The Frankfurt School. Who was the Frankfurt School? It was a bunch of Bolshevik Jews who fled Nazi Germany. And they brought their Bolshevism with them. You know, no lessons learned. So, where does the Frankfurt School and all this critical race theory, queer theory, uh, a lot of the advancements in feminism, where does that all come from? This Frankfurt School. Uh, so the idea that, hey, the left would still be as it is without, you know, this people group's influence on that, I'm not entirely sure that's true. Uh, there's also a large influence of Sigmund Freud on the left that particularly drives their views of sexuality and their, uh, you know, strict adherence to therapy and mental health being the solution to all these problems. Uh, so stuff like that. That's driving the left. So it's hard to say. I'd like to talk about solution in a minute, but I do have one more question to diagnose the problem. So I've got solution in my head. Uh, But first, one more question about diagnosing the problem. If we're finding, and to me, this could be your personal position, Mm -hmm. but I'd also be interested in what people think uh, around around this little table here about, say, a soft Mm anti-Semite. Okay, the question is, um, is there any relationship, whatever, between the Jews that are uh, the anti the, the body that we're anti, um, mm-hmm. and the Bible. Meaning, if somebody came out and said, man, I don't like the Jews, and these guys killed Jesus, mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. response is somebody that isn't anti-Semitic would uh-huh. say, dude, what are you talking about? These people that we're against have nothing to do with those people at all. Yeah. Right. Covenantally, yeah. ethnically, yeah. Yeah. what are you even talking about? You can't say that. <laughs> yeah. That's one anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other anti-Semite goes, yeah, you're right. Yeah, there is a relationship. Okay, so let's and talk about the and problem. And that's the only one. Is, is well, not the only one, but a one. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, just interested yeah. to know is your own position that there is like no connection whatever between um, the Jews today and the people of old, or is there some? No, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think there is other other than you know. I mean, it, it would be like asking the question, right? The the guy who you know larps in the woods with a Thor's you know hammer, um, is there a connection between him and uh, my ancestors that converted to Christianity? He's right? larping, so yeah, yeah. No. Is it is is there a connection between the two? And I I don't think there is. Well, suppose right? no. suppose um, they've been speaking old Swedish in his family 
and yeah. literate in Old Swedish. Read the original documents. The original documents <laughs> writing stuff for 15, on runes. for fifteen hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the now it's not LARPing anymore. No, it's not. Although um, they weren't speaking uh, Hebrew until you know the state of Israel came in. Into no, but the rabbis the, were reading yeah. Hebrew, studying yeah. Hebrew. Yeah. The reformers They're speaking Yiddish though. Well, well no, the reformers. Years, yeah. The reformers went to the rabbis mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. learn Hebrew. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. this was Calvin a, did. Yeah. So yeah. there was a tradition among the Jews mm-hmm. that went all the way back prior to Christ. Mm-hmm. The Babylonian Talmud uh, began to be formed centuries before Christ, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. concluded. Uh, sometime after Christ, mm-hmm. and the rabbis who were teaching in that stream and tradition, mm-hmm. if there's a straight, you can say, so-and-so, they've got a better beat on it than the popes do, you know, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. <laughs> who goes all the way back. Mm-hmm. So culturally, it's, it has to be way more than LARPing. Uh, there, there's a, yeah, certainly there's cultural tradition, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would classify it much closer to that than... To the LARPing. Than, than something that is, yeah, these are the same people. So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say that Ben Shapiro killed Jesus or anything. Right. You know, like, I would, wouldn't do that because... Um, I don't think he has the same connection to those people, right? Um, so that... Uh, and yeah. you would say the people who did have the connection were cataclysmically removed in 78? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, that's... Solution. I mean, I think it's pretty common sense. Uh, where this most comes up as a, as a modern point is, you know, people like Sarah Silverman joking about how she'd love to kill Jesus again. Or when people like the ADL say that it's an anti-Semitic trope to blame the Jews for killing Jesus, which the Bible attributes the blame for Jesus' death, you know, it says who did it, and it was the Jews. Now, are those Jews the same as modern Jews? No. And that's the, you know, position of Andrew Eisker, uh, but... And I guess Jared Longshore's question is about whether, um, you know, how to delineate that. Yeah, solution, <laughs> yeah. solution man. Well, here's the thing. I think the main problem is, so the, anti, the anti-Semitic problem, let's just talk about that mm-hmm. objectively, uh, what your book um, addresses. I think that something, is, uh, something that's not pure uh, modernist analysis of societal influence mm-hmm. is going on. I just mm-hmm. think it's something deeper. So it's, mm-hmm. it's clearly something that's at work... Um, providentially that mm-hmm. um, that I think warrants a stronger connection between people's hatred mm-hmm. and the actual um, old covenant people, right? The mm-hmm. Hagar covenant people that, that, um, that didn't come over, right? So you, I think that's there and that is going to inform the way I go about a solution, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So if it's just a matter of numbers and you know, um, there's a particular ethnic people that are really uh, influential, all Cretans are liars and they're mm-hmm. impacting our society, then I, then, uh, the solution is for substance the same, but it's going to have a different form. Mm-hmm. But I actually want to situate the problem where, like, no, there's some there's some weird, deep hatred going on in that anti-Semitic mm-hmm. world that is either denying the that they that there is a connection, doesn't know that there's a connection, mm-hmm. but there is something going on here that mm-hmm. can only be explained by what God has revealed to us about um, mm-hmm. some connection between these people and the Old Testament people. And if that indeed is the case, then you have to think through what are solutions. Of course, solutions are going to be gospel. Right? Mm-hmm. You, it's going to be preaching Christ to them. But this is where I think Doug's solution is really um, instrumental, that Deuteronomic mm-hmm. blessing. That mm-hmm. um, there's, there's Deuteronomic blessing there in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And are you going to classify that as some accidental part of the Old Covenant that doesn't carry over to the New Covenant? Mm-hmm. Are you going to classify that as a substantial part of God's covenant of grace with his people such that we're actually walking under those Deuteronomic blessings now? And I think that we are. <laughs> I, think <it's, laughs> I think it's manifest mm-hmm. that, that as a nation, our own 
Christian nation um, mm-hmm. is immensely, remarkably, insanely blessed. And if you can, if, mm-hmm. if, if these people that are getting hot under the collar about the Jews can remember um, how we're blessed, mm-hmm. why we're blessed, and how God works covenantally, then I think a lot of the pillars are in place to mm-hmm. deal with the anti-Semitic problem. Understanding the Jews as the key to Christian nationalism. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, what would you say if it's not, you know, if it's not that, if it's, it, it is you know, sort of a backlash um, to like Jewish left-wing... Um, I'll, I'll preach your liars. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I, so I think those yeah. guys... So it's I not think, a necessarily a particular spiritual thing because this group is being okay. blessed. So my well, point is I think that worldview is... Say, what if it's not? That, wall, that worldview is insufficient. That's okay. the problem. Yeah. Um, it's like saying, How? you know, the Nazis were was just mm. a, it was just some just some natural kind of thing. You know, you tell me, no, was there not spiritual forces at work in that mm-hmm. particular thing? Um, this is so we have to have a deeper analysis. You can't just say, well, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just counting up numbers, right? I'm just mm-hmm. kind of calculating how many Jews are there in Hollywood and how many yeah, movies yeah. have they made. And it's it's no something's going on here that's deeper, which I think is manifest spiritual mm-hmm. warfare, spiritual chess game behind the scenes, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the the thing that uh, made a joke earlier about Christian nationalism, mm-hmm. but if you have, my argument is for a mere Christendom. Mm-hmm. My son Nate wants, doesn't like Christian nationalism. I think he wants Christian imperialism or That's crazy. I'm okay with Christian that. intergalactical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? I, I, Christian intergalactical. I like but, that. Um, d- at the national level, mm-hmm. most evangelical Christians are semi-gnostic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They, they do not think of tangible material blessings mm-hmm. as being from God. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. c- crops, children, mm-hmm. abundant livestock, uh, mm-hmm. Good drink. Yeah. You know, they, they don't. Mm-hmm. They don't think of that as part of God's blessing of a people, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so one of the subtitles is the promises of Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. And we need to, if we learn to think scripturally about how we want God's blessing in real time, prior to the resurrection, mm-hmm. prior to heaven, mm-hmm. and we do this in covenant with God, and God pours His blessing out on us, mm-hmm. whether the I would say whether the the Ashkenazi Jews today mm-hmm. are are connected to the Old Testament Jews or not, they're the kind of high-performance non-Christian mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. that would be driven crazy. The Paul, I think, mm-hmm. I think Paul, Paul's strategy for mm-hmm. provoking them to jealousy was mm-hmm. aimed at his people, yeah. his, his kinsmen according to the flesh. But even if they weren't his kinsmen according to the flesh anymore, it's a strategy that would work on those people. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and the anti-Semites... So you don't, you don't think it, it is um, uh, that, that God is at work you know, doing signs and wonders and, and the Spirit is at work uh, among the church is the thing that is provoking them to jealousy, or, or what? Uh, no, I do. That's the same. Well, same, same. Oh, yeah. no, there's a distinction without a difference, I'd say. Yeah. Well, I would say it depends on how you define blessing. Okay. So if um, a lot of Christians think of the blessing of God as forgiveness of sin inside, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. keep my nose clean ethically in my business, and I go to heaven when I die. Mm-hmm. So the world is mm-hmm. basically a sinking ship that, yeah. Yeah. that we yeah. get on the lifeboat and we're taken off to heaven, or the world is God's Vietnam and mm-hmm. we get helicoptered out yeah. uh, before the fall of Saigon. But if you're a post-mill mm-hmm. and you believe that the promises of Deuteronomy are going to be instantiated not just for Israel, mm-hmm. but for all the nations of the earth, mm-hmm. and, Christ, yeah. and they're going to be um, implementing it in different ways, and the glory, of, the glory of the Christian gospel is going to take root in Uganda differently mm-hmm. than it does in Finland, mm-hmm. differently than it does in Japan, and differently than in America. Uh-huh. So in the, history of the, in the history of the West, the most uniquely blessed nation, Deuteronomically, to date has been America. Yeah. yeah. Um, See, I got to push back on that because I'd say the British Empire. Uh, so they had a really good run. The sun never set on them. That's a really good run. We, um, we hit sort of the Powerball jackpot mm-hmm. on the, the shape of our continent, mm-hmm. the navigable rivers, 
the Great Plains uh, fertile soil, natural resources, the, the natural yeah. resources, yeah. the number of harbors up, mm -hmm. and, up and down the east mm -hmm. and west coast, the natural moat that we have on mm -hmm. either side. Of it. So it, it was like a um, houses you didn't build and wells yeah. you did not dig. Yeah. Yeah. We, we won the spiritual Powerball and we lived under the Deut those Deuteronomic blessings for a couple of centuries. It was a, it yeah. was a good run and we were gathering steam mm -hmm. and then the secular apostasy mm -hmm. happened and we're in the process of throwing that all away. Mm -hmm. And not surprisingly, right when we start throwing it all away, this outburst of, uh, compared to Europe, America has not had a real problem with anti-Semitism. No, never. Uh, you know, it's been, it's yeah. been odd, mm -hmm. odd people here and there. Mm -hmm. In Europe, it's a coal seam that runs pretty mm -hmm. deep. Mm -hmm. And we've not been afflicted with that, mm -hmm. but now we are. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would say it's because we stopped living confidently and freely in Christ mm -hmm. in such a way as to provoke Jews to envy. And now, We've done the only alternative, which is to envy them instead. Do you think, though, I mean, within that paradigm that you're presenting, do you think that, and obviously America is a unique edge for all the reasons you described, but Western Europe, I mean, France, Germany, mm -hmm. the, the places that you, you know, I think rightly say that there's a deep strain of, of anti-Semitism yeah. in, in these countries, um, weren't they similarly, not to the same extent, but similarly deuteronomically blessed? Then they walked away. And they walked away And I would say... But even uh, like 600 England. years ago, like when Martin Luther writes his book, right, right uh, there being Germany's, you know, or the Holy Roman Empire is massively blessed uh, compared right. to the rest of the world. Yeah, um, they took the first initial steps out. Yeah. And the thing, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because when Bootser and Beza mm -hmm. were the first reformed guys mm -hmm. who started to emphasize a reformed take mm -hmm. on a special place for unbelieving Israel, mm -hmm. uh, believing that they're going to return. Mm -hmm. So it started very early mm -hmm. with Calvin's successor mm -hmm. and, and Bootser and the whole history of the reformed theologians down through, the, uh, down through the ages, down to John Murray and mm -hmm. R.C. Sproul and everybody, uh, they, they held this, that it started when in Europe anti-Semitism was not, uh, did not disgrace you. You could do what Martin Luther did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and people right. didn't you think didn't it, get canceled. You, you didn't yeah. get canceled for yeah. being anti-Semitic. No. Um, and in that environment where mm -hmm. anti-Semitism could still be cool, mm -hmm. in Europe, the genius of the prosperity that came to Europe, I think was largely reformed. Mm -hmm. And it was within the reform strain that gave birth to the idea that the Jews are going to return and that's going to be the key to world evangelization. And then when you get to the English Puritans, mm -hmm. I would say after America, England was, is another deuteronomically blessed. Like I would say that they're number two, yeah. silver medal. Um, and they are, they've been largely historically free of yeah. anti-Semitism. Would you, would you say the, um, the Spanish... Uh, were also similarly blessed. I mean, the massive wealth that they were able to, to no, there's gain. A I would, and I would make and Inquisition was not very friendly to, <laughs> no, <laughs> to no Jews. So, historically, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. However, in the same year, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella expelled the Jews from Spain. 1492. Spain then enters their golden age. That's quite literally a golden age, which they're about to talk about. But just think about that when someone brings up, you know, Genesis 12, 3 and applies it to modern Jews. Just think about that. Now, Doug Wilson's going to try to walk this back. And tell me whether you think that this argument is convincing or not. Well, but first, and this is not a defense of the Inquisition. Yeah. But over the course of the whole Inquisition, about 2,000 people were killed. Yeah. It's an overblown event. Yeah. all against it yeah but that's one, that's planned parenthood on yeah. a slow afternoon or one week of the french revolution right, right. Yeah. so yeah. Let's, so let's put it yeah. in, in yeah. context yeah. secondly i would make a different i would make a distinction between 
Spain, the Spanish Empire, which was rich, mm-hmm. and England, which was wealthy. Yeah, that's a good point. That's okay. a good point. Yeah. So, yeah. They, you know, the Spanish found all this gold. And, right, lying around. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. they were rich, yeah. but they didn't have the manufacturing base and yeah. the farming yeah. and that sort of thing. The cultural, the cultural capital to They still to were Mediterranean it. culture. Correct. Compared to and England Europe. became wealthy, yeah. and America became wealthier still. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and then... So, uh, the part, so part of this seems like part of what you're saying is when you're living confidently as Christians and seeking to live in the blessing of God, including not just the spiritual blessings, which is the foundation, but then the earthly blessings that sort of attend it because we're still the covenant people. Um, one of the things that enables you to do is to, so America sort of allowed, you know, we're, it was an Anglo Protestant mm-hmm. nation that was able to um, allow Catholics of a certain stripe and Jews to be basically honorary Protestants. Yeah. They were, they were <laughs> able to sort of tolerate and sort of for civic purposes, you can have a place here. Um, but this is, but we're the, the center of gravity is in Anglo-Protestantism coming out of England, and that held for a and century. That, that held for a while. Um, but I think your your point is the uh, this is and this is the liberalism question mm-hmm. I think as well because mm-hmm. then the liberalism of um, we don't, we're not going to persecute people who are not of our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have wide toleration and latitude for religious mm-hmm. differences, and that's first mm-hmm. denominational, and then it extends to the, the papist, and then you know it extends mm-hmm. to the Jews. And then it's like, how far can you stretch that thing before you're just polytheistic, which is where we live now, yeah, right? Yeah. Is, is um, p- p- our, our principled pluralism is yeah. just principled polytheism in the civic yeah. square. Yeah. Um, flying, flying airplanes. And, and I- okay, if I start using that line, that principled pluralism is really just principled polytheism, just know I'm getting that from Joe Rigney. I think, and think what I hear you saying is yeah. um, part of the concern is there are, um, are there incentives for, one, for that minority people group to expand the sort of bounds of mm-hmm. secularism and in push order the limits. push the limits. Mm-hmm. And then I mean, it would be fair to say though, that part of, if, if so granting mm-hmm. that right now mm-hmm. it's biting them, like, because it, cause it seems yeah. like, right. Like the, yeah. the, the Hamas stuff and the pro Palestinian mm-hmm. thing has been a wake up call to a whole bunch of people who thought that this could be contained, that the CRT yeah. and, and everything. And, not, and I'm not saying that Jews are doing that. I'm saying just yeah, the yeah, left yeah. in general yeah. thought, yeah. Hey, we can, we can stoke this. We can carve everybody up and we mm-hmm. can, you know, give everybody brownie points for being different mm-hmm. colors and mm-hmm. sexualities and everything. Mm-hmm. And we'll be able to contain it. Yeah. And then all it took was one event in the, in the Middle East to, sudden, to everybody to go, whoa, yeah. and, and there, are, there are bounds. And so back to solutions, the solution does seem to be something like confident Christianity that, mm-hmm. that robustly thinks, no, the, um, assume the center, where the, the center of gravity is Jesus Christ. Right. And in Jesus Christ, there's room for a certain kind of toleration, um, including a special toleration, I think, in your view, of, 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 juice. of juice. And in, in one of the... See, the liberals miscalculated. They thought that Muslims would play along with liberalism long-term. But Muslims are a lot more transactional than that. They will play along in the short term in order to subvert a nation and get a critical mass, and then you could see some violence come from that. I think that's the future, and you're certainly starting to see that a little bit in Europe. So there's a critical mass that they're trying to get through open borders policies, and I don't liberalism and Islam, they're not going to get along. That is not a marriage meant to last. That is a very fragile uh, political alliance. And the Muslims have been doing it longer than the liberals have. So I, I give the edge to the Muslims. The themes are, are motifs that I appeal to more than once in my book is the great, great film Chariots of Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Where you have the contrast between a Jewish runner mm-hmm. and a Christian runner, yep. um, and they're both top, both Olympians, right. both mm-hmm. at the top of their game. One runs under grace. Mm-hmm. When I run, I feel his pleasure, mm-hmm. and the other mm-hmm. is driven by law. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's and envy. it's all law yeah. and yeah. striving, yeah. and and it's a wonderful, wonderful picture of I th- what I take is the Pauline strategy 
for winning the world and winning the Jews and winning the world through winning the Jews, by, which is a confident, gracious reception of God's good gifts. Mm -hmm. And we should all of us say, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Um, and, and that's the key, I think, to everything mm -hmm. because that's attractive, being angry and surly and hateful. Um, uh, one of the, uh, in my review of your book, <laughs> I think Rod, Rod Dreyer, <laughs> Let's clear the record here. Yeah, Rod right. Dreyer tagged you as being a very yeah. angry Minnesotan. Yeah, yeah they, they, they don't exist, number one. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which those of us who know you know yeah. that that's the, yeah. the opposite of what you are. But I think that we have a duty to project um, that freedom in Christ on the one yeah. hand. And I think we also have a duty to police and police the boundary of yeah. our movement such as it is. Such as the people who are filled with hatred and are overflowing are mm -hmm. called on it. Just, no, yeah. that's not what we're talking about. No, yeah. you... I guess one question I would have for you, though, is you know, within this you know, the evangelistic strategy of envy um, is you know, sometimes envy produces right, the result that you want, that they right. envy what God has given you and they, they want to join, right. uh, but also envy produces conflict, the opposite. And, and so if, yeah. if you know, do you see that as a possibility of what has driven a lot of, you know, especially the revolutionary stuff in the late 19th century um, well, absolutely. And, and things like that? And so... Yeah, so I think, you know, don't you think it's pertinent um, yeah. on, that, on that end to be able to say that? And obviously you write it in your book. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I would yeah. say absolutely. When, when people are under, living under the blessing of God, mm -hmm. these Deuteronomic blessings, imagine, uh, imagine a country, let's mm -hmm. just make up a country, mm -hmm. that is loving God, they're a Christian republic, mm -hmm. they're prosperous, they're happy. Mm -hmm. um, they would be uh, public enemy number one for the UN types. Yeah. You know, yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they, you know, right. everybody would be despising mm -hmm. them, mm -hmm. and and so which so it would draw the revolutionary blowback. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so part of the confidence is not just being confident and saying let's be swagger a bit. It's not just that, mm -hmm. but it's being confident to the extent that you're willing to push through all the hostility that's going to come your way right. when you start living that way. Yeah. Is is part of the, the pushing through though, and the confidence uh, to be able to say, you know, to tell things like they are, right? Oh, yeah. and to be able to, and to be able to say, well. Um, Pornographers and brain surgeons. Yeah, that's, that's, right. yeah. that, that's telling it. Yeah, as which, it is. yeah. Okay, this is a key segment here. Which which one ha has a more? I mean, is the the deleterious effect of pornography greater than being able to cut out a brain tumor? Right. Um, um, I, I think no. one has a much greater effect, right, on a well, society. Well, you know, right? It, no, it we does, can't so. say that. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, we no. honestly we can't. So if someone mm -hmm. uh, comes up with a, uh, a cure for diabetes. You know, mm -hmm. or something. How, how do you calculate how much good that has down, mm -hmm. downstream? Mm -hmm. And yeah, all we have to say is, yeah, these things that they do are really, really bad. Mm -hmm. And these things are really, really good. Credit where credit is due. Mm -hmm. Blame where blame is due. Mm -hmm. And so the people who say, I just want to be able to call it like it is, mm -hmm. I would say, yes, I agree with that principle, mm -hmm. but you're not doing it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because I keep pointing your head at these good things mm -hmm. and you won't. And, yeah. and I think the other thing would be the reactive edgelording yeah. that sort of comes as sort of the, well, if we can't. So I want to pause right here. So Doug Wilson's basically saying, you know, there's some good, there's some bad. We can't tell whether brain surgery is better than or is so good that it outweighs, you know, ramp, rampant proliferation of pornography. We can't tell. Who are we to say whether uh, being in a harmonic orchestra outweighs advancing critical race theory in a society? How can we tell? Who are we to make these, you know, judgment calls? And to some degree, we can't quantify these things because, you know, let's say God, you know, decided that salvation was based on measuring good deeds and bad deeds. This is popular theology, not biblical theology. A lot of people think that good deeds outweigh bad deeds. But 
in reality, our bad deeds way outweigh our good deeds uh, because of our sin nature. So that aside, let, let's just say that, you know, what would the scales be uh, for this people group? And Doug Wilson saying we couldn't make that determination. Perhaps he's right. But sociopolitically, when you look at voting patterns, when you look at uh, worldview questions, I think you can. And talk about it openly. We're going to talk about it on 4chan and, and, um, and sort of try to tr trigger everybody by doing it is just another, another form of, of rea reactivity. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, By the way, I yeah. love these new terms like edgelord. Yeah. Yes. I just, it just <laughs> captures. It's, uh, it's, it's an old, it's old. You're yeah. a couple years behind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm always a couple <laughs> years behind. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, um, at the same time though, I mean, the, uh, the group strategy, right? If there, if there is a, at least a, some semi-conscious group strategy to engage in subversive activity, right? Mm -hmm. um, if, if that is a thing, right? If you grant that that's a thing. Yeah, I um, hate those Anglo-Saxons. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, <laughs> it, you know, I don't think it was Anglo-Saxon, you know, survival strategy that that uh, that drove, you know, the 20th century necessarily. But um, I think it was, you know, wealthy people with political power that wanted to reshape the world yeah. according to a, a, a messed up version of post-millennialism. Yeah, um, that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, and, uh, but um, the, the flip side of that is, I don't, you know, do you think that this, like, ethnic identity drives people to be brain surgeons? Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To be proud of who they are. It boils down to Jewish mothers. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jewish mothers have those kids in violin lessons yeah, and, yeah. and ice skating lessons. Yeah, and, yeah. and you're going to, you have a choice, little William. Uh, yeah. It's law school or med school. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, that's, that, it's very much mm -hmm. a high performance culture. Mm -hmm. You will achieve. Now, I don't think Jewish mothers. You could say the same thing about Asians. Are trying to get their kids to be pornographers no, uh, no but i think not. that i do think they train and equip them educate mm -hmm. them and they demand mm -hmm. success right do you they, think it's it's the the parenting that that accomplishes this it's the parenting or? in the community yeah. it's a tight uh very tight community so if you if you go to brooklyn mm -hmm. they're as tight there as the amish are yeah so it's not yeah. an urban rural thing mm -hmm. the amish are very tight-knit and the brooklyn jews are very tight-knit mm -hmm. and it's uh, it's cohesive and when you have a cohesive block like that mm -hmm. it keeps the knife sharp mm -hmm. and you yeah. can use knives for multiple purposes. And you can use knives for multiple things. Yeah, so why don't, why don't Americans have, you know, things Because like of Gnosticism. Semi-Gnosticism. <laughs> <laughs> okay. semi <-Gnosticism. laughs> why so, do we have the Titan stuff? So with, with that, that's probably a good place as any. Don't be semi-Gnostic, uh, American Christians. It's funny that Joe, Joe Rigney's here. He used to, again, be under the John Piper wing. And John Piper is very much more the poverty gospel type. Uh it, it, which I guess would proliferate a lot of this semi-Gnosticism uh, type of mentality that Doug Wilson's kind of going against. Uh, so I, I think that's pretty interesting. But yeah, I think he's right that there is a semi-Gnostic mentality. And I think Christian nationalist, this is one of the distinctions that's coming out of the Christian nationalism debate is that Christian nationalists see nations as a good, worth preserving, and they see more practical, they, they think more practically about the world in which we live in. Whereas the G3 bros are largely semi-gnostic. Oh, what's that? Oh, we got, we got a question or two. I'd be curious to hear from both Andrew and anybody, like what are the stakes of this, especially between the two? So what are the stakes? That's the question being asked. Mm. What do you guys see? 
So the, yeah, so the question we're getting from from online here is, yeah. what are the stakes of this? This this debate has been somewhat uh, yeah. it's, it's somewhat academic, theoretical at yeah. some level yeah. in the sense that there's a theological dimension um, exegesis. But are are there bigger stakes in play between whatever whatever the difference is between how we analyze this this question? Yeah. So the, the stakes I'll do two levels. The stakes are number one, this difference doesn't keep Andrew and me from being friends. Yeah. We can be friends yeah. and talk about it. Yeah. But the stakes strategically, as, as far as I'm concerned, is that in this moment, with the pro-Hamas people mm -hmm. uh, protesting and defending the most indefensible things, right. uh, the right-wing uh, tendency mm -hmm. to come in with actually, you know, mm -hmm. the Ashkenazi are not really Jews, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is the most massive misreading of the room I can, mm -hmm. I can imagine. It's like a, um, <laughs> don't, you, don't you see that the, the left tore the mask off? Right. Um, they the are, demons are underneath, the, and they're yeah, just manifesting. The demons are, the cockroaches are running everywhere, and then, uh, right conservatives are saying we can do that. Some of that too. Right. I, I said, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, follow yeah. up this advantage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, I would look at the stakes a little bit differently in terms of the conversation. That I'm gonna let uh, Andrew finish, but I gotta say, Doug Wilson thinks he can make some sort of political triangulation that we can use Zionism to win the Jews over to the you know conservative cause, culturally speaking, and I don't. It's the same type of mentality that I'm seeing from, you know, people locally, uh, just seeing it a little bit more nationally in national politics conversation as well. Yeah, I don't think it's going to work because at the end of the day, Bolshevism or Zionism, I think most of the people who would say Zionism are already over there. And a lot of the big money is still going to say Bolshevism at the end of the day. I don't really think we can convince them away from Bolshevism. So, uh, not without the gospel. I, I think that'd be the most effective way to do it uh, and to change the culture. And I think, you know, Andrew Isker alluded to it earlier, uh, that if you don't treat a people group like they're special and they're just another people group that needs the gospel, that actually removes barriers uh, to the gospel. So... I think he made a good point about that earlier. Um, if if conservative evangelicals are are terrified to approach these topics, um, then you know our our especially our young guys who are all on the internet, um, they're not going to come to us to have a you know rational mature conversation about these things. They're going to go to where anywhere and everywhere on the internet That's and true. to anyone that. Is, is not afraid to tell the truth. Um, right. And so, but put their spin on it. And so that, I mean, and to me, I think, you know, longer term, you know, the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, that this this subject will, the further, you know, the further we, away uh, we get from, you know, the Second World War and the more, um, you, know, uh, you know, Holocaust and the Nuremberg and all, all of these things um, fade into historical memory, mm -hmm. um, the the more this is, is going to be a thing. And so I, I think there have to be, um, serious direct conversations at the risk of being, you know, canceled and being clipped on, on the internet saying, ah, oh, this guy hates Jews. Uh, but being able to say, well, there is this group here that they, they don't like Jesus and, and many of them are left wing and, and what, how do we approach this as Christians, right? Mm -hmm. And not, um, I think back to, um, it was, you know, 2017, maybe 2018, there was a young man who was in an OPC church who um, went and, you know, was radicalized on the internet and shot a yeah. bunch of old grandmas in a synagogue. And I, I think about that a lot, um, very, very often because, Right. If, if I, I'm like, what, what if I was his pastor? Right. What would I do differently? How would he trust me to be able to talk about the things that he's reading? And I don't, I don't want to look, be looked at as someone that is just going to 
call him an anti-Semite and say he needs to repent and yell at him because then he's not going to listen to me and do, perhaps do something monstrous, mm-hmm. right? And so, I mean, e- even from that extent, I, I want to be able to, you know, think through these things honestly and, and openly and, and, and in hopes that we can, we can approach the topic as Christians. Um, and, and so yeah. that's, that, we'd, that's we'd, a big We'd be entirely in favor of open discussion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, if, if, you tr- if we try to bottle it up, it's going to squirt up in bad ways, yeah. sideways. That's Way true. worse than, than just confronting yeah. it directly. Well, and at the risk of stealing the show, if you want to learn how to be... A- All right, that is the end of that uh, stream. And I saw a tweet that said something along the lines of 37.5% of the people in this conversation know what time it is. So it's basically uh, Doug Wilson and uh, Jared Longshore do not know what time it is. Uh, Andrew Isker does know what time it is. So that's 25%. And then Joe Rigney has one foot on either side and he actually seems pretty open. I I saw someone's reaction about that, but really I think the thing about Doug Wilson is he wants to agree with everybody except for the dispensationalist, but he wants to largely agree with everybody. He wants to grant everybody's points and try to kind of come up with a formulation for how to deal with that moving forward. And I just think it falls flat in some areas because at the end of the day, he is giving preferential uh, treatment to the Talmud that he would not extend to the Book of Mormon or the Quran. Uh, And then he's kind of recognizing, you know, radical materialism as high performance people. Yet the same thing's true with certain immigrant communities, you know, the Asian mom stereotype. And how a lot of people of Indian backgrounds come and own the tech space. So this type of mentality exists in other areas as well, but it isn't necessarily associated with widespread degeneracy. I I do think there is something about demographics. Like, first of all, when you hear that, uh, you know, uh, I just want to say you, you, you hear that, Hey, this, a, a woman's going to be taking over, um, Xbox or whatever. It's like, Oh no, it's over. Cause you, you know that they're going to, you know, be more woke than say if a white man was doing it or something, uh, and stuff like that. So th- there's something about that. And a lot of these tech companies aren't necessarily run by Americans and it kind of shows and they're censorship crackdown you know youtube google uh to mention some names here so some of the stuff is you know you can look at sociology and you know not be woke about it and it would show you these things and i think it's very important to be able to discuss these things openly it's very important to do that And I appreciate Doug Wilson for being able to have the conversation with both sides represented. This isn't some G3 panel. So I appreciate that he did that. Andrew Isker did an excellent job. Very calm, collected, and knows what's up, knows what time it is. Didn't get angry or boisterous at all. Um, Laid back. Despite his appearance, you'd think someone with a mustache like that... uh, would totally be a little bit more uh, boisterous and uh, less articulate. Stereotypes matter, you know what I'm saying? But no, he's not 
what he or he articulates in a way that doesn't necessarily uh, resonate with you know how you would think he would. And it's kind of like Stephen Wolf, very soft spoken, mild mannered guy, has these you know big ideas and very you know scholarly written, but they're so out of time, so to speak. Uh, very reformed ideas in a modern world. But, you know, then you talk to him and he's like, oh, very soft-spoken, mild-mannered kind of guy. It's very interesting that you see this uh, on the Christian right, so to speak. So uh, this was a good conversation and I, I commend Doug Wilson for having it, even if I think that he gets a lot of things wrong here. So anyway, have a blessed day. Let me know what you think about what I think. We'll catch you on the next one.